Welcome to the Ashley and Jessicast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to my Lindsay Lohan series. This is part eight. If you have listened to all seven parts before this, you are amazing. Like, I can't thank you enough. Really, thank you so much for listening. This series has been more successful than I could have imagined and expanding to other topics and doing other series is just such a wonderful creative outlet for me. So I have to say thank you. But if this is your first one, I mean, please go back and listen because this is, you know, this is a story in chronological order of Lindsay's life. But if this is your first one, you really picked a good one because this episode truly has everything. We have the real serious actress, Lindsay, but we also have the drunk mess, Lindsay, in this one. They are just at war with each other. One of them is trying to win, and they're both just going at it so hard. We have Lindsay coming out with two movies in this episode where she got to work with Academy Award winners, and she gained a lot of respect in the industry for doing this, which she really needed because of all of the rest of it, everything else that was being reported, the partying and the drinking and the car accidents and the hospitalizations and all of that stuff. So when she starred in A Prairie Home Companion and Bobby, it definitely extended her legitimacy in Hollywood a little bit, especially after the Georgia Rule incident where she received a letter on the set of the film from the CEO of Morgan Creek Productions outing her for being late due to staying out partying all night. We're going to get to that very, very, very important part of the story because it was such a huge turning point in her life. We're also going to talk about the movies I mentioned, and then we will be getting into the best night in history, which was Bimbo Summit. Now, if you don't know what Bimbo Summit is, girl, (laughs) I mean, you have to know what it is if you're in party of this series, but I just, I can't wait to get into it. I recorded everything already and I just really cannot believe how long I spoke about Bimbo Summit. I honestly didn't think that there was much to it but there there's so much more to it. There's I mean it's just you guys this is the episode where you really are going to need a snack like you're going to need your spiritual advisor you're going to need a friend I mean just really buckle up and we're not even in 2007 yet that's the hilarious part is that we Literally are not even getting to 2007 in this episode, but this is a good one. So thank you so much for being here. We're going to get to it, but I do want to remind you guys that the Ashley and Jessica cast is on Patreon. It's $5 a month. You can cancel anytime and you get a ton of bonus episodes. Lately, especially, I've been really just the Patreon subscribers have been eating good because I just love them and appreciate them so much. So I do want to give you patrons out there a special thank you for supporting me. It really does mean the world. So... Without delaying it any longer, let's get into this time in Lindsay Lohan's life. So Lindsay starts out on the trail of promoting A Prairie Home Companion pretty early in the year. 
So then this absolutely fabulous magazine cover comes out. It's Lindsay Lohan with Meryl Streep. Go Google W Magazine, Meryl Streep, Lindsay Lohan. It is a gorgeous picture of them both. And this is actually a magazine I'm trying to track down and buy. So I would really like to have it if it's not too expensive because it is just a gorgeous cover. I've always admired it. And apparently it was Lindsay's idea for that to be the cover story. Lindsay made actually a pretty good joke. And she goes, what are you going to call the story? Lady and the Tramp. (laughs) Which it's so funny because I love that she can poke fun of herself like that. Because everybody was calling her a tramp, you know. And who cares? Let them. Lindsay says, I'd love to be in Meryl's position. I want people to know me for the work that I'm doing. Not for this party girl image, which is just vile and disgusting and not fair. Because I work so hard. Maybe somebody will look at my life one day and say, why don't I do a cover with Lindsay Lohan? I totally would do that. (laughs) Lindsay hung on Meryl almost like a mentor, recalls Robert Altman, a director known to love actors and barely tolerate the media. And she was very respectful of all the people she worked with. It's the press that makes news of all that other stuff. But I think she's great and I'd work with her again. She's a great talent with a really sexy voice. So Robert Altman is the director of A Prairie Home Companion, which is the movie that Meryl and Lindsay starred in together and what they are promoting at this time. Streep says she was convinced Lindsay would be perfect for the film even before meeting her. I think I'd seen Freaky Friday maybe seven times. I have three daughters and it's the Lindsay Lohan fan club at my house. I thought, I think she is a terrific actress. It's something that you could see even when she was little bitty. Streep, as if a Adopting her maternal screen role is mildly defensive when asked if Lindsay's party exploits ever interfered with her work on the set. Lindsay knew her lines better than we did, she said firmly, then continues in a slightly more indulgent tone. She's very young. It's a great sort of coin to have, a wonderful time in somebody's life. I'm aware of the tabloid stuff because my kids tell me, but I don't read it and frankly I couldn't care less. When they say action, Lindsay is completely, visibly living in front of the camera and that's all that anybody really cares about. Do you see what I'm saying? She had Meryl freaking Streep in the palm of her hands. She is in command of the art form, says Streep with high seriousness. Whatever acting is, I don't know what it is, she's in command of it. I think she could do anything she puts her mind to. A few minutes past the appointed hour, Lohan arrives in a rush and Streep calls out to her. Hi, Peanut. How freaking cute is that that she called her Peanut? But Lohan is agitated and breathless when she plops in her seat and pulling a knit cap farther over her hair, which is dark again now, she tells how she was followed from her hotel to the restaurant by paparazzi. Streep gets as flustered as a wet hen. I'm going to use that in casual conversation. Next time I'm upset, I'm going to be like, I'm as flustered as a wet hen. This is outrageous, she snaps. Her maternal ire calms Lohan somewhat, but she still doesn't eat, claiming she had gorged on a late breakfast. I remember saying, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this, says Lindsay as she sips on ice water. I was scared to death, but all of these things that weren't scripted in the scene happened, like when we ended up crying on one of the takes. I have never been happier than after that day. That kind of makes me emotional because I'm an actress too and I can't even imagine being in a movie with Meryl Streep and working with Robert Altman and all that kind of stuff, you know? It's just heartbreaking that she was so happy and it was all about to go in a negative direction. Regarding her relationship with Meryl, Lindsay said, she'd pull me aside sometimes and say, are you okay? And I'd say, I'm okay, but I'm dealing with some personal things. I'd talk to her about guy issues and she'd say, you know what? Don't think about it right now. And if you do think about it, use it for how it will help you in the scene. Imagine Meryl Streep giving you dating advice. Like this is why I'm saying like, 
Lindsay was on another level than Paris and Nicole and all these people that just like party for a living. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that she was better than them like as human beings, but just like in the business and in Hollywood, like why was Lindsay even mixing with like this riffraff? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why was she even getting caught up in this drama? It's so silly. I mean, I guess because she was, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, and that's what happens when you're young, but I don't know. It just sucks, you know? In 2012, Meryl Streep was on Watch What Happens Live and she was asked about a bunch of people that she's worked with over the years and she was shown a photo of her and Lindsay on the set of the movie and she simply said, I pray for Lindsay. On June 9th, 2006, a Prairie Home Companion opened the South by Southwest Festival and it got really good reviews right out of the gate. Ebert and Roper absolutely loved it. Robert Altman's new film, A Prairie Home Companion, is a movie you want to cuddle it so funny and sweet and so perfectly in the spirit of Garrison Keillor's great radio program. Keillor plays himself as the laid-back host of the program that's going off the air after one last broadcast. He refuses to get sentimental about it, but everyone else does. Backstage, Meryl Streep plays a singer who hopes her daughter, played by Lindsay Lohan, can appear on the farewell show. I would just like there to be a spot for Lola on the show later. Hope so. There's time. Well, this isn't really going to be your last show, is it? Every show's your last show. That's my philosophy. Thank you, Plato. My opinion of the movie is that it's not a must-see I would say definitely for anyone who's a performer or who's involved with showbiz at all, you you should definitely see it because they really do a good job of capturing the backstage vibe and what it's like to be a performer. So this movie is about a radio show called A Prairie Home Companion that ran for years and years and it was a combination of music and comedy sketches and just talking and stuff. And so it has this amazing all-star cast, obviously Lindsay and Meryl, Lily Tomlin plays Meryl's sister, Woody Harrelson, John C. Riley, Virginia Madsen, Maya Rudolph, Tommy Lee Jones, Kevin Kline. And I actually had never seen this movie before. I watched it specifically for this podcast. And I really enjoy Lindsay's performance. She's playing a very unaffected teenage girl who doesn't even have any intention of performing. But then she ends up doing a musical number. I was scared, says Lohan, recalling the first day of shooting in Minnesota. She had to perform a long, intense scene with Streep and Tomlin. Meryl and Lily are singing this emotional song, and I'm chiming in. And I don't have a father in the movie. I don't really know my dad. And she's talking about the dad, and she starts singing, and I just started to cry in the scene when we were improvising. They keep rolling, and then all of a sudden, Meryl starts crying, and Lily starts crying. The crew members start tearing up. We cut. Robert Altman starts clapping and everyone starts clapping. Meryl starts clapping and then they start coming up to me saying, that was amazing. I can't believe it wasn't scripted. It was so beautiful. That was the first day of shooting. They were so nice to me and so kind and I was so proud of myself. That changed me a lot, I guess. Altman, who had initially been nervous about casting Lindsay, was particularly impressed with her final scene. She has to do a song which is not very good. Her character's performance is not very good and yet it had to be honest so it couldn't be tricked. She was excellent. Over the course of the shoot, Lindsay says she began to grow up. For my 19th birthday, I flew to LA for the weekend and sat in a little restaurant with my friends and just like had dinner, went back to my friend's house and didn't do anything. That's how much I've changed. When I was 18, I had a party at Avalon with an I'm a slave for you theme. Slay though. I would love a slave for you theme at my birthday. I'm just saying. 
Lindsay, of course, went on another big press tour to promote this movie. She was on Letterman. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you 20 years old? I'm 20 July 2nd. Congratulations, coming up soon. I don't want to be 20. And what will you, will there be a big celebration on your 20th birthday? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know yet. Take a guess. I don't really know. If I said I was going somewhere special, then I'd, uh, then I'd be giving it away, and yeah. then I might give But is there, is, there a, is there a special guy in your life now? <laughs> oh, okay, let, let me rephrase the question. Do, do you, do you, uh, because you're so... I get so... what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just not going to answer. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see about and that. Yeah, uh, now, there's but, no one specific. But uh, let's just say there's a guy who knows you and says, well, I would like to have dinner with Lindsay. Is that possible? Could a guy just have dinner with you? Yeah. Yeah. Now, how does that work? Who, do, who would he have to go through? Your publicist? <laughs> My brother, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, golly. Uh... You just go to dinner. You just go to dinner, yeah. Or movies or right. normal things. Entertainment Weekly interviewed Lindsay about a Prairie Home Companion, and they said, this is your first indie. I imagine it's been a pretty different experience than shooting your Disney movies. And yeah, I find that really interesting because a lot of actresses, when they're coming up in the business, or actors, anybody, they work on independent films before they get to the bigger films. But Lindsay just had the big films right out of the gate. She replies, I've never been able to do a movie like this where you shoot one take the whole way through and you don't do too many close-ups and things like that. It's more like a play, which is nice, because then the emotions are right there, much more raw. When you're in the scene, you can actually see it build. You feel like you're with the character, as opposed to a lot of movies where they do all these different shots. Then you know that someone had the time to fix themselves and maybe even blow fake tears in their eyes. She's talking about this thing that actors use on set sometimes when they can't cry. They blow this, like... I can't remember what it is exactly. It's some chemical. They blow it into your eye and it makes you cry. They also have the sticks that like it feels like chapstick, but you put it like right under your eye or on the sides of your eye and it makes your eyes tear, which I would never do that. To me, it's so much easier to just pull the emotion out. But I guess if you're on set and you have a limited amount of time and you just can't get those tears out, sometimes you just have to do it. The film overall had mixed leaning toward positive reviews. It had a $10 million budget and made $26 million worldwide. It ended up being Robert Altman's last film as he did unfortunately pass away that November. Altman was in his 80s when he made this movie and he actually hired Paul Thomas Anderson as a co-director to be on the set all of the time and just basically shadow him and deal with all of the things that directors have to do because he was worried that he could croak as he put it or just become incapacitated in some way and then the movie wouldn't be finished so he did end up finishing the movie but I just think that's such a funny Hollywood fact like he absolutely had to get this movie done he was not going to die before it was completed and if he did he would have his co-director there to finish it for him Garrison Keillor wrote this movie and he also co-starred in it with Lindsay and Lindsay told Elle magazine let me just say this man is so talented I asked him to write me a sequel and he said he wanted to Elle Magazine points out that he said her tabloid life is a separate thing. It's a whole game that she plays with the tabloids and it goes back and forth. It's valuable for her up to a point, but I think she's now past that point. And so one fears for someone who continues a game beyond where it ought to go. Hmm. Lindsay says Garrison and Merrill both said to me, people that you work with know how hard you work. People in the industry don't read this bullshit. I work so hard and I can't point that out enough. I need a break more than anyone, but I don't even know how to take a break because I go crazy. I just sit in a room and I don't know what to do. Hmm, perhaps that maybe that's because when she was eight years old, she was being 
shuffled all around the tri-state area going from her regular school to her shoots and then doing homeschool and doing homework and doing lessons on the train and then going back to work and back to school. I mean, it makes total sense, right? She says, I went to the Metropolitan Museum and I just sat there, but they don't take pictures of that, which sucks because that would have been more interesting than pictures of me coming out of a club. I agree it would have been kind of hilarious if there was a picture of Lindsay just quietly sitting there staring at like a John Singer Sargent painting or something. <laughs> New York Magazine had a mixed review of the film and said that the casting of Lindsay takes you out of the movie but she's not bad. And I actually disagree. I think that Lindsay fits into the ensemble cast really well but then again I love ensemble cast movies so maybe that's just me but I don't know. I actually liked her blonde hair in this. I felt like it did make her feel more like Meryl's daughter and she gives a pretty effortless performance and she even has a couple of crying scenes and I just feel like she pulled it off. Matthew Lucas of The Dispatch gave a positive review and said, by the time the film is over, Altman has pulled his usual hat trick. He has made us care about each and every one of his characters. They feel like old friends by the end, as if we have just spent the last two hours hanging out with them. I agree. This movie does a really good job of making you feel like you are just sitting backstage with these people and I think that's its most successful aspect. IndieWire said, most writers talk about her holding her own against Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin, but Lindsay is better than that. A Prairie Home Companion represents the best evidence of Lindsay's squandered talent. She creates a character as visibly as the rest of the star-studded cast, adopting an anxiety-filled half-whisper and a rejected pout, and she carries the film's musical climax entirely solo. What a great review. You see, it's so crazy how quickly all of this went down the toilet and instead she was just being like relentlessly made fun of because she did hold her own with all of these big stars and really respected actors. This was such a major move for her career. I mean, Just My Luck was one thing. It wasn't a great movie and it didn't do well, but it was a step forward because it was a step out of the Disney and the family films and the high school films. But this was a gigantic step forward because now she's working with legitimate Oscar winners and people that have been in Hollywood for decades. And they're sitting here saying, yes, we understand she parties and stuff, but she's amazing. She works hard. She's talented. I mean, the things Meryl Streep said about her, come on. That's amazing. When Robert Altman passed away in November of the same year, Lindsay issued a public statement that was very heartfelt. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But she says, I learned so much from him and he was the closest thing to my father and grandfather that I really do believe I've had in several years. The point is he made a difference. He left us with a legend that all of us have the ability to do. So every day when you wake up, look in the mirror and thank God for every second you have and cherish all moments. The fighting, the anger, the drama is tedious. Please just take each moment day by day and consider yourself lucky to breathe and feel at all and smile. Be thankful. Life comes once, doesn't keep coming back, and we all take advantage of what we have when we shouldn't. Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourselves every time there's a triumph in the world a million souls have to be trampled on. Altman. It's true, but treasure each triumph as they come. If I can do anything for those who are in a very hard time right now as I'm one of them hearing this news, please take advantage of the fact that I'm just a phone call away. God bless, peace and love always. Thank you. So I thought that was a very heartfelt, lovely message from her. It seems like she got so much out of this shoot and it really is a nice little movie. So I recommend you watch it, even if just for Lindsay's performance. It's really great to see her like this. 
She's quite a talent. Oh. That Lindsay. She's oh she is. And so wow. is Lola. Yeah. Because Lindsay's playing her. Yeah. So that was Frankie and Johnny. And that's the end of my song. I think that that, that girl is gonna go places. You're gonna hear about her. She's gonna she's a hell of a singer. On July 2nd, 2006, Lindsay turned 20 years old and apparently Life and Style magazine got the exclusive pictures because they picked up the $100,000 tab for her birthday party at Polaroid Beach House in Malibu, which included guests like Courtney Love, Nicole Richie, Kate Bosworth, Woody Harrelson, Owen Wilson, Jeremy Piven, Eva Mendez, Jamie Lynn Sigler, and Ivanka Trump. What a group. <laughs> Security shoot away several photographers to ensure Life and Style's scoop. They missed out on Lindsay warbling songs by Madonna and Journey on a karaoke machine and alternating with Dustin Hoffman's son Jake and Samantha Ronson in the DJ booth. Soon after, Lindsay's proactive ad is launched and the commercial is on YouTube. It's so funny because her before picture is like this one tiny zit on her chin. You know, like Lindsay never had acne. Everybody knows that. So it's funny that she became a proactive girl because there was just no need. But those proactive ads of the early 2000s were iconic. So it only fits that Lindsay would have one of her own. Also in July, Lindsay starts filming her new movie, Georgia Rule, with Felicity Huffman, Jane Fonda, and Garrett Hedlund. And this is really where Lindsay's credibility just goes right down the drain. On July 26th, Lindsay failed to show up to work on the movie, and apparently she had spent the prior evening at Guy Tuesdays in LA, which I assume was a club, and she gets hospitalized for heat exhaustion. Two days later, the CEO of Morgan Creek Productions releases an open letter to try to knock some sense into Miss Lohan. Oh my god, this was such a big deal. Do you guys remember? Of course you do. Here's the letter. I'm going to read it to you guys because it is a pop culture artifact. Dear Lindsay, since the commencement of principal photography of Georgia Rule, you have frequently failed to arrive on time to the set. Today, you did not show for work all day. I am now told you don't plan to come to work tomorrow because you are, in quotes, not feeling well. You and your representatives have told us that your various late arrivals and absences from the set have been the result of illness. Today we were told it was, in quotes, heat exhaustion. We are well aware that your ongoing all-night heavy partying is the real reason for your so-called, in quotes, exhaustion. We refuse to accept bogus excuses for your behavior. To date, your actions on Georgia Rule have been discourteous, irresponsible, and unprofessional. You have acted like a spoiled child and in doing so have alienated many of your co-workers and endangered the quality of this picture. Moreover, your actions have resulted in hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. We will not tolerate these actions any further. If you do not honor your production commitments, including your scheduled call time for tomorrow and any call times thereafter, we will hold you personally accountable. This means that in addition to pursuing full monetary damages, we will take such other action as we deem necessary to preserve the integrity of the Georgia Rule production as well as Morgan Creek's financial interests. I urge you to take this letter seriously and conduct yourself professionally. Sincerely, James G. Robinson. 
Now look, he could have kept this private, right? He could have had this delivered to her, but he released it publicly. So she must have really done something to piss him off because this happens all the time in Hollywood, but everybody covers it up. And it doesn't just happen to 19, 20 year olds. It happens to 50, 60 year olds. Drugs and alcohol and partying is a major, major problem in Hollywood. But most of the time people just ignore it because as long as you keep making these people money, they don't care. So maybe what he says in the letter is the extent of it, but I don't know. I feel like she must have really done something to piss somebody off. Because like I said, this happens all the time in Hollywood. You know, like do you think Ben Affleck has never been dragged into a trailer by his collar and told by some CEO or bigwig that if he doesn't get his act together, they'll ruin his life? You know what I mean? Like that's, it happens. But this was so public and so embarrassing. It was just such major news because it really showed, it was this evidence in black and white from a reliable source that Lindsay's partying was out of control. Everybody knew it already. Like everybody saw. But it's different when something is in print like this. So the heat exhaustion that he is referring to was reported by Lindsay's publicist who said she was overheated and dehydrated. She spent a couple hours in the hospital after being given a vitamin B shot. She was filming in 105 degree weather for 12 hours. Interesting how Jane Fonda, who's like 40 years older than Lindsay, doesn't seem to have a problem during this entire shoot in 105 degree weather. But, you know, I don't blame him for releasing this because Lindsay was photographed in and out of the hospital all smiles and she went out in Hollywood literally that night after being hospitalized so I think that that's what set it off because I feel like everybody makes mistakes but then your next step is to show somebody like I'm so so sorry about what happened you know and she didn't do that she just went out and partied and then after the letter came out she went to Beecher's Madhouse do you guys remember Beecher's Madhouse in LA if not just google it a lot going on there This article says there had been speculation that Lindsay would skip the event after being scolded by Morgan Creek CEO James G. Robinson, but Lohan has been spotted out every night since receiving the warning. So she was just giving them a real FU, which is gutsy considering she still had a lot of the film to shoot. Of course, Miss Dina Lohan went on Access Hollywood to defend Lindsay and about the letter she said the wording was ridiculous I feel when you are 19 years old it is way out of line perhaps he has personal issues with whomever and it came out with my child I don't know him I can't judge him I don't think it was a smart thing to do to a young girl Lindsay was in 105 degree weather saying mommy I feel sick like I'm going to faint she took herself to the hospital she has asthma and in extreme colder heat you can't breathe I'm a mother and I will do what I need to do to protect my child. I don't feel that it should be aired out and everyone should know. It's personal. I do kind of agree like he could have just sent her a private letter but we also don't know that he didn't already try that right? We don't know the backstory and like I said before I do kind of feel like there was more to it than what we saw. Isn't there most of the time? When asked about accusations that Lindsay's ongoing all-night heavy partying was responsible for her not showing up on set Dina said Lindsay gets to work late. Okay she's a human being. There was one day when she was late and they worked the schedule around her. Gary the film's director and Jane Fonda everybody loves her. As far as Lindsay's health is concerned, she's fine and she is back on the set. She will win an Academy Award for this picture. Justice. (laughs) I love Dina. Like, I can't. I can't deny it. 
So in response to all of this, James Robinson came out and said, I'm just trying to get the movie made. He's basically coming out and saying like, look, I don't hate this girl or anything. I just want this movie to get made. I don't want all the money that my studio put up for this to be lost. He continues, I did what I felt I needed to do on behalf of the movie and on behalf of her too. I wanted to set some limits. It was not a nasty letter. It was, come on, be a professional. We're halfway through with six weeks to go. There's no turning back. I wrote the letter. It was from me, not some damn attorney. She showed up. That's all I cared about. So apparently the problem was solved rather quickly. You know, he played hardball and he got what he wanted. And you know what? He should have had what he wanted already because her behavior was unacceptable. I mean, again, I'm an actress. The thought of blowing the opportunities that Lindsay blew is unfathomable. It really is. The following year when Lindsay was in rehab, the director, Gary Marshall, was asked about her and he said, I would work with Lindsay again in a minute. But it's not a great thing for a young actress who is out there right now. I think Lindsay has a tougher life. I just hope she gets it straightened out. She is still just a kid. I sincerely love her a lot. I just hope she can get the right support behind her. A few months after this whole incident in July with the letter, Jane Fonda was promoting something else. And she was asked many times about Lindsay. And she said, Lindsay's so alone out there in the world in terms of structure and people to nurture her. She is so talented. Oh my gosh. She can access emotion like nothing and she just makes me cry. I just want to take her in my arms and hold her until she's grown up. How kind is that? I mean, she has these literal Hollywood legends saying nicer things than have ever been said by anyone. You know, I mean, it's amazing. When she was on the Today Show, Jane Fonda told Matt Lauer that she thought the letter issued to Lindsay, you know, did make sense. It was okay because she did do the things that he claimed but she added that she loves Lindsay it wasn't bad for somebody to say tone it down but when she was on the set she showed up she was good and she was talented she's smart I love her and she's wonderful Lindsay was on the August 2006 cover of Elle magazine definitely a big cover for her especially because she was so super into fashion at the time and wanted to be known as a fashionista in addition to a talented actress they asked her do you think you're in the tabloids too much she says you kind of ask for it when you go to nightclubs thank you see again I respect her for just being honest you know I mean she lies a lot but like she also is honest a lot too right she's like yeah I ask for it you know she goes out to nightclubs in LA what does she expect this is the deal people are like just don't go out but I can't help it I literally come out of my hotel and the photographers are there it's not like I asked them to follow me but you know it's actually weird when the paparazzi's not there and things aren't being written because you kind of wonder do people not care anymore Elle says you must have at least initially loved all the attention of the tabloids and Lindsay admits I still sort of do and then what did I just say Lindsay lies a lot she says I say things that aren't true a lot just because it's fun yeah, if I was dating one person, I'd probably tell them I was dating somebody else. And then I'd call my friend and be like, do you mind if I say that we're dating? I figure I'll fuck with them because they fuck with me. <laughs> Honestly, I don't really blame her. I feel like if I was famous, I would mess with people more too. I think it's so funny how celebrities never like make silly faces to the paparazzi, or at least they rarely do. Like, I feel like I would do that all the time. <laughs> I would just like make my nose into a pig nose and stick my tongue out. Elle asks her, how many times do you sleep with someone before you're officially dating them? I don't know the rule these days. So inappropriate. Um, 
Lindsay says, I don't either, but sex in the city changed everything for me because those girls would just sleep with so many people. <laughs> my mom's going to kill me for talking about sleeping with people, but if I'm going to give my body to someone, I'd rather them not be with other people. They say, that's very old fashioned of you. Lindsay replies, yeah, but I want to be able to if I like someone else. <laughs> She's just straight up admitting what everybody was speculating about that, you know, she was on and off with Jared Leto and she was hooking up with all these other guys at the time. Elle says, interesting, it's the variety of partners that you like? And Lindsay says, I think everyone does, especially at my age. <laughs> when I was 20, I was not sleeping with a bevy of men, including Jared Leto, but that's me, you know? Uh, Lindsay continues and says, I mean, if the sex is bad, then the relationship's not going anywhere. But I don't think I've had enough experience with dating one guy for a long time. The only one was Wilmer, and apparently Jared, but Jared was so paranoid. He'd always be like, don't come over if you're gonna bring 15 effing paparazzi. That gets hard too. Like if I'm seeing a guy or if he's coming out with my friends and I have a crush on him, I'll say we're probably going to be written about as dating tomorrow and they're going to take a lot of pictures, sorry. It's different when it's a guy who's already in the public eye. But if it's like a guy who's just starting out in a band or a model or a new actor, you feel like, okay, this is weird that they're getting so much press just for being with me. And then they might get a big head. You have to think about those things. Honestly, I think celebrities can have private relationships. They just have to know how to hide it. I mean, look at her relationship with Jared. This is the first time that she's even acknowledged that she dated or hooked up with him, you know, before she was just saying, oh, we're just friends. And that's because when they were together, she obviously didn't want to piss him off and have him feel like, hey, why are you talking about me publicly? Like, this is over. But now that their relationship is done, she probably doesn't mind saying it as much, which is also probably why she said years later that they never really broke up and they continued to be on and off for years. So they conclude the interview by asking her what her big plans are for the next year and it's just like a really it's just such a Lindsay answer <laughs> I'm gonna present it without comment okay Lindsay says I've been trying to go to Iraq with Hillary Clinton for so long Hillary was trying to work it out but it seemed too dangerous I wanted to do what Marilyn Monroe did when she went and just set up a stage and did a concert for the troops all by herself it's so amazing seeing that one woman just going somewhere this beautiful sex kitten who's basically a pinup which is what I've always aspired to be so I tried to go there. I'm not afraid of going. My security guard is going to take me to a gun range when I get back to LA and I'm going to start taking shooting lessons. He says if I'm going to go there, I should really know how to shoot. Yeah, I have a dark side. I go to my dark side. I watched all these videos on Charles Manson for a while. So we are going to get to Bimbo Summit in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about this movie, Bobby. So on September 5th, the movie premiered at the Venice Film Festival and Lindsay was just jet setting all over the place for this movie. There were so many different galas, events, premieres for the movie Bobby. It was in so many film festivals and it was really one of those movies that's making its way around the circuit during award season. So like I said, it had the first premiere on September 5th and then it had this huge tour and promotional run and Oscar campaigning and all of that that led up to it being released to the public on November 17th. Now this film truly means a lot to me. If you guys follow my personal account you probably know this but I'm super super into the Kennedys. I love them for so many different reasons. I'm not going to get into it because it's already this podcast is so long. <laughs> But I've always been really into them. However, before I saw this movie, I was more just into JFK and Jackie. And it was this movie that really turned me on to doing more research about Bobby Kennedy. And 
The reason why is because of his words. And so Emilio Estevez, who you probably know from The Mighty Ducks or The Breakfast Club or St. Elmo's Fire, he wrote and directed this movie and he was having writer's block. He knew that he wanted to write a movie about Bobby Kennedy, but he just didn't know where to begin. I mean, there are so many different ways you can go with that topic. He went out, I believe, to Palm Springs to just get away and lock himself in a hotel room and write. And when he was talking to the woman at the front desk, she recognized him and said, oh my gosh, I love your work like what are you doing here and he said actually I'm writing a movie she said what about and he said the day Bobby Kennedy was shot and her face was just stunned and she goes oh my god I was there so this kind of reignited his passion for writing this movie because what an insane coincidence that out of all the hotels in the world that he could have decided to go right at it was at the one where he would meet this person who was there on the day of the murder and so they sat down and had this long conversation about that day and he ends up writing this story about 22 characters whose lives intersect on this day so it's like 22 different people played by an all-star cast and it's really more about American archetypes and life in the 60s you know there's so many different characters there's Sharon Stone who plays the woman who works in the salon of the hotel there's Demi Moore who plays a lounge singer who's performing that night at the hotel there's Nick Cannon who plays one of the young people on the campaign trail working with Bobby's campaign there's Ashton Kutcher and Shia LaBeouf who play stoners there's Lindsay and Elijah Wood and Lindsay has a really interesting role it's based on a real person named Diane who married four different men in the 60s to avoid them getting sent to Vietnam because if you were married you didn't have to go. Lindsay has a small part but it is one of the more memorable parts and I think she does a great job with the small amount of material that she has. Many people have talked about the scene that she has with Sharon Stone in the salon being one of the best scenes in the film and I also feel like Demi Moore's scene with Sharon Stone is so stirring. Like that scene always gets me because Demi's playing this glamorous lounge singer that's dealing with alcohol issues and it's really affecting her whole life. So like obviously that has nothing to do with Bobby Kennedy right but it's still a really entertaining character and I think Emilio was just trying to show regular American life and the stories of all these people who happen to be there on the day of this horrible tragedy and if you're listening and you're on the younger side or maybe you just don't know on June 6 1968 Bobby Kennedy was assassinated while he was on the campaign trail at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles and so many different movies have been filmed there but I think this was one of the last ones to be filmed before it got remodeled or closed down or something like that and I just find the movie to be so powerful because instead of casting an actor to play Bobby Kennedy Emilio shoots an actor from behind and never really shows his face and uses archival footage and Bobby's actual voice saying his mindless menace of violence speech which is one of my all-time favorite speeches in history and it's a speech I always listen to and I always refer to because it's about violence in America and it's insane how amazingly relevant his words are to today. I mean look at the shootings and everything that have been going on. It's so relevant and it just really made me think as a young kid watching this, wow, if he hadn't been assassinated the whole world would be different. Now I actually consider Bobby to be my favorite Kennedy. Like I love him the most. I mean I am just 
I, I could go on about this movie forever. I know this podcast is already so long, so I'm not going to. But I love the movie. It got mixed reviews. I feel like it's kind of come more into favor recently. But this movie was a big deal when it came out because it had this huge all-star cast. And one of the criticisms that people have about this movie is that it just has too many characters and too many of them don't really have anything to do with Bobby's message and everything. And I agree. I think instead of 22 characters, it could have been like 15. Like that still would have been a ton of people. You know what I mean? That still would have been a ton of stories. But I love ensemble casts. Some people say, oh, it's stunt casting. There's too many big stars in it. But I I don't really agree. I love the ensemble cast. And I think so many of the stories are interesting. They might not have that much to do with Bobby. But I think that the music and the use of his speeches and his voice instead of an actor, it just makes the movie really powerful for me. And I just love this movie. I always will. And I think it was a great career move for Lindsay. You know, it was another ensemble film with a lot of respected people in Hollywood. And like I said, she got to do so many different things and travel around the world promoting it and go to all these festivals. And she really seemed like a legit actress, not like some young party girl. Lindsay was asked what made her interested in the project. And she says, I feel I've always been somewhat politically engaged. I strongly encourage people of my age and generation to have a say and to vote and to involve themselves in what's going on in the world because they are living in it. I've always been like that, but I keep it to myself. It's safer that way. Emilio said of directing Lindsay that she really dug into it and was so committed. Lindsay came into this wanting to be a part of something bigger. It wasn't just about putting her name on something. She really believed in this and we were lucky to have her. I agree, they were lucky to have her. I feel like she's a breath of fresh air in this movie and I really do feel her scenes with Elijah Wood. Like, he's really good in it too. He's trying to convey like... I feel bad that you have to marry me, but if you don't, I'll probably die. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's, they they make a good match on screen. MTV.com did an interview with Lindsay for the release of this movie. And it says, she's written emotional songs about her troubled relationship with her father and crashed her car speeding away from paparazzi photographers. But Lindsay Lohan says she faced her darkest days while on the set of the upcoming movie Bobby, which revolves around the 1968 assassination of Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Just as Lohan was preparing to film a traumatic scene in which her character's friend is shot during the Kennedy incident, one of the actress's real-life best friends, who suffered from meningitis, was also on the brink of death. Lohan had to choose between being on the set of the movie or at her friend's bedside. Our families are best friends, and she was like a cousin, so you can imagine. I was on the phone with her parents every single night, and just before she died, I wanted to fly back to see her so badly. But the timetable for Bobby was tight. The filmmakers only had 35 days to shoot the project, which takes place over 16 hours on June 4th and 5th, 1968, at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. The building, a crucial part of the story, was scheduled to be demolished by a wrecking crew and replaced with a school. Though director Emilio Estevez was able to shift some locations to another faded hotel, he was trying to get as many shooting days at the Ambassador as he could. Then there was the issue of juggling the schedules of the cast many big names. Lindsay says, even though no one besides Bobby died, a number of other people were shot as well, Lindsay says. So I had to stay and shoot it. My real life friend ended up passing away the same day, so that scene is really personal for me. It was the most tragic one I've ever had to do and required the most acting. Other roles I've had didn't require as much acting because my character was closer to my own age and experience. 
This time I had to go to that darker place and use that for my work. The movie ended up grossing $20.7 million worldwide on a budget of $14 million. So it wasn't a huge hit and the reviews were mixed. But I still think that this was a really good step forward for Lindsay in her career. And had she not had personal issues moving forward, I think she would have done a lot more films with this type of prestige where, yeah, it might not be nominated for Oscars, but she's doing the festival circuit. She's working with a lot of Hollywood legends and she's working in a more serious space as far as the content of the film goes. On October 23rd at the Hollywood Film Festival Awards, Lindsay won Breakthrough Actress for Bobby, which is kind of amazing because first of all, she didn't break through in this movie. (laughs) I mean, why is she winning Breakthrough Actress when she's already been famous for a long time at this point? But whatever. I think she deserved it. You know, she did a great job in the movie. But again, it's surprising that she won this award because it was such a short period of time that she's in the movie. You know, everyone's role is kind of small. So it really says a lot that they decided to give this to her rather than somebody else who had a starring role where they were in a movie more, you know. And then the entire ensemble of the film wins the ensemble award at this film festival as well. Kaleem Aftab of The List says... Emilio Estevez is no Robert Altman, but he does a good job in mixing archive footage of Bobby Kennedy with the fictional action. The saccharine tone is in keeping with the fawning perspective of this rambling love letter from Emilio to Bobby. And that's true. Emilio is also a huge Kennedy fan like myself. And I feel like this was just his kind of like fanboy opportunity to make a movie about this. And I don't blame him. But rambling love letter is definitely an accurate statement. And it does have a saccharine tone. There is some cheesiness in it. But I still think it's meaningful enough that the message does come across. Comingsoon.net says... It's to the credit of Estevez's screenplay that the characters are well drawn enough that we do come to care for them and their problems. And though they largely start out as types, he goes to great pains to make actual human beings out of them. He's helped a great deal by a stellar cast who all turn in very fine work. They're all good enough that you really want to see more of them. I would say they're not all on that level. There's definitely some standouts. My favorite are Lindsay... Well, my favorite character is Demi Moore's character. She also sings in the movie. I love her character and I love Lindsay's and Sharon Stone. I would say the three of them are really the standouts of the movie. Interestingly, it's the film's namesake that gets the least of this. The lack of definition is a major part of the anticlimactic feel towards the end. For most of the film, it's a given that everyone knows what Kennedy symbolizes. Not every story comes together into a satisfying climax and it feels like some time has been wasted with some people that could have been better spent with others. Despite that, it's generally quite good. It tends to lean a bit toward predictability, but never too badly. It touches on important themes about the unity of humanity and the necessity of recognizing that unity. Unfortunately, touch on them is all it does. It's ambitious, but trying to do too much in too short a running time. With a bit more tightening, it could have been very good, maybe even great. It's not, but it's at least worth a look. I do love the movie, but like I said, if he just made it like 15 characters instead of 22, this movie would have gone so much further. I mean, I remember Oprah doing like a big special about this and everything. Like- Hi, how are you? This is a cute little number. It's part C through part I'm, I know, it's it's been a concern all morning. No, it's fine. Hopefully it's working. No, very cute. So what was it like for you? You did a wonderful job in this film. You really wonderful. And that was what for you? Like working with Emilio? Um, well, when I first met, um, heard about the movie, I was approached by one of the producers. Um, and I met with Emilio and 
I've never seen someone so passionate about um, a film and just what, you know, the meaning behind it as much as he was. Mm -hmm. And making a film, you know, that your director really believes in and, your, and the cast was incredible. You can't really say no to that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, for me, it's, it's, you know, it's bringing attention to a great leader that we've had mm -hmm. um, for my generation. And I think that's important. Yeah. People were talking about this like it was going to win 10 Oscars and it ended up not even being nominated, which kind of sucks. But if you've never seen this movie, please check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay, you guys, the time has come. Let's talk about Bimbo Summit. <laughs> how, by the way, how pissed are you at me for making you sit through reviews of a Prairie Home Companion and Bobby before this? Be honest. Did you fast forward? Did you skip? <laughs> what can I say? I wanted to celebrate Lindsay's movies. I really did. That was like my intention of doing this whole series was to celebrate her movies and her talent. But of course, there are some other things involved when it comes to the life of Lilo, as she was being called at this time. I don't think I mentioned that yet, by the way, that her nickname was Lilo in the press. I'm sure you guys all remember that. Lilo was Lilo, but also people started calling her Blowhan, which is so... <laughs> honestly not even funny it's just like stupid but okay so as I said in the last episode this whole thing started because Lindsay dated Stavros Niarchos who was Paris Hilton's fiance for a while for a very short while let's be honest and actually I think Paris stole him from Mary-Kate Olsen do you guys remember those iconic pictures of Mary-Kate and Stavros jumping on a trampoline and like kissing on a trampoline those pictures to this day make me so sad because she looked so happy with him. I mean, I'm not saying that was like the love of her life or something like that. But I mean, did you have you guys seen the pictures of her with her now ex-husband? I don't know. She doesn't look like I mean, maybe there were some good pictures of them. But in this, I mean, not of him, really more of like her looking happy with him. <laughs> I don't know why I'm being mean all of a sudden. Why am I why am I hating on Mary Kate's ex-husband right now? Like who cares? It was his name like Oliver Swarovski Crystals or something. I don't know. Anyway, Stavros dated Mary Kate, then dated Paris, and then I don't even think he dated Lindsay, but I just think Lindsay hooked up with him or was like seen hanging out with him or something, and that pissed off Paris. And because Brandon Davis had his head so far up Paris's ass that he didn't even know his left from his right. He drunkenly was calling her a fire crotch and I already talked about this in the last episode. We all remember the video and you know my favorite part of that though one thing that I didn't mention in the last episode because I said I was like I'm not gonna break all this stupid stuff down with Brandon Davis you know but one of my favorite things is how he was actually in a club like a couple nights after that and outside the club there was like a Lindsay Lohan stand screaming at him. <laughs> Do you guys remember this? She was just like, Lindsay Lohan works for her money and you get it from daddy. So get out of here. We don't want you here. And it was so funny because it's not like she owned the club or whatever. Like she couldn't really kick him out of anywhere. She was just a stan on the street. But she was just like, we don't want you here. I was like, I love that. I love how she's just speaking for like society in general. We don't want you here. Go away. Um, but he did end up apologizing to Lindsay. Like he did a public statement. And I already read Paris' statement through her publicist, Elliot Mintz. Remember that name? He will come up again in this story. He also was photographed wearing a shirt that said Team Firecrotch, which I guess was supposed to signify like 
I don't have anything against Lindsay. I was just drunk and I was an idiot. That's actually one thing, even though I'm not like, I don't really empathize with Brandon Davis, although I probably should because didn't his brother pass away? I believe his name was Jason. He was on Celebrity Rehab. That was really sad. Like, I'm not, I'm not joking about anything like that, you know, like, I don't care who you are. That's a terrible thing. But but yeah, I guess he was trying to say everything's cool, whatever. And I actually kind of admire the way that Lindsay didn't really comment on this until I think it was Elle magazine. And again, I read this in the last episode where she said she was just like, I've never seen that video. I'm not going to watch it. But obviously Paris is very comfortable making videos. I love that. I think that's funny. I mean, honestly, Paris didn't seem that comfortable in her sex tape. Like, she seemed uncomfortable, actually. That tape made me sad. I don't know. She didn't, she seemed like, like, remember how he kept telling her to, like, do stuff? And she would be like, no. Like, she was acting so innocent. But I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like she wasn't acting. Like, I feel like she actually was kind of childish at that time. Especially now that we know what happened to her during her childhood and, and her teen years at that crazy provo school thing so i don't know i'm getting i'm I'm going off on a tangent but like this time in pop culture, i'm like if you're listening to this you have to be interested in what i'm saying when i go off on these tangents because it's just if you're this far like if you're you're in part eight of a Lindsay lohan series you know like you want to hear stuff like this i'm guessing so i also mentioned in the last episode how Lindsay's serious boyfriend after jared leto was harry morton whose father is of Morton's Steakhouse and then Harry became a restaurateur in his own right and Paris then was photographed out with Harry Morton it's not like they were on a date or anything I'm pretty sure they were just like at the same club or the same restaurant and they just sat next to each other and there's a picture taken but Lindsay was then pissed the hell off but I feel like Paris was basically just like doing the same thing that Lindsay did (laughs) you know like I feel like I mean who even knows how much of this is true and how much of it isn't but apparently it's like okay well if Paris was engaged to Stavros and then Lindsay hooked up with him even though Paris and Lindsay are supposed to be friends then isn't it doing the exact same thing for Paris to then hook up with Harry Morton Lindsay's ex if they even hooked up they probably didn't even do that but Lindsay, of course, heard that they were together or whatever, and apparently that is what caused her to lash out in a paparazzi video where Lindsay's getting into a car. Paparazzi asks her a question about Paris, and she says, Paris is a cunt. And the paparazzi starts swarming even more, and they're like, what? What'd you say, Lindsay? What? Like, they're trying to get it again. And whoever's with her, I don't know if it's her publicist or a friend or something, is literally, (laughs) like, you can see that she's like, it's like, she immediately is like she's joking (laughs) and then it's actually kind of sad and shocking in a bad way seconds later as the paparazzi are all clamoring for Lindsay to say it again so they can make sure they got it she goes I love Paris Hilton Paris Hilton is my friend I would never say that what are you talking about Lindsay we love you Lindsay that's enough, man. That's Paris enough. Is a c- Paris, I'm sorry, Lindsay. What'd you say? Lindsay, Paris is a what? She's a cat. I love Paris Hilton. What'd you say a second ago about Paris? Hey y'all. Why is Paris a? Why is Paris a? I never said that. We got you saying a second ago. Tell them dirty days in the Paris is your friend. Lindsay loves Paris. No, I love her. Snub. Are you being sarcastic, Lindsay? You have to actually watch the video. You can't just 
listen to that clip like go watch it because Lindsay's face is chilling like it's actually scary she seems she seems like almost possessed or something like it's just very weird her vibe is very off in this video but I love when the paparazzi are like why is she a cunt why is she a cunt and uh Lindsay's like what I never said that and the paparazzi just goes we just got you saying it <laughs> like just the detachment from reality is interesting I guess for lack of a better word I don't really know what to call it 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 was just nonsense like the whole thing is just nonsense but then I believe it was a week later Lindsay comes barreling out of I don't even remember where it was and she says that Paris hit her. This is a video that Paris Hilton, and I'm saying this on tape, she hit me last night for no reason apparently at my friend's house and I didn't know she'd be there and she hit me and she hit me with a drink that? and poured it all over that? me. And it hurts and it's not okay. It's not cool. And I'm sorry for everyone that thinks Lizzie, I'm crazy. I'm sorry to hear that. There's actually no bruising that I can see in the video. Like Lindsay tries to show that there is something and I actually paused the video and I don't see anything. I'm not saying Lindsay is lying, uh, although she has been known to tell <laughs> a fib or two, but there is no mark there. So who knows what happened? I like whose friend were they at? Like, where were they? You know what I mean? Like whose house were they at? I want to know what that person has to say about it. Because as much as came out about all these people, imagine what didn't come out. Like, can you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even want to think about that because I will literally fall down like an Alice rabbit hole. But the next night, we get the beautiful gift of Bimbo Summit. Britney Spears and Paris Hilton had been partying together for a while. And I have very strong feelings about this. I do not feel like Paris was... I don't know. Paris showing up at Britney's wedding made me feel a lot better about this because I was thinking, okay, if Britney feels like Paris still deserves to be in her life after all this time, she obviously, I mean, if you think about all the people that we've seen Britney be close with or like hang out with over the years, a lot of those people were not at Britney's wedding. Like Felicia wasn't even at Britney's wedding, but Paris Hilton was. I don't know. That's weird to me. You know, like, why wasn't Felicia there? I'm like, that bothers me. Like, there's a lot of things about Britney's wedding that bother me. Like, how how on earth were her kids not there? I know, like, I'm not going to get into this, but I'm just saying, like, I think the way that Paris seemed while she partied with Britney is, like, Paris always seemed very lucid and not drunk and not high. And Britney always seemed like a lost little girl including in this video like in this video Paris is is walking to the car with Britney and Britney's like making a frowny face at the paparazzi and they're walking to Paris's car and Britney like points one and she's like is this it like she literally seemed like she's so mentally unwell you can tell and I just if Paris was a real friend why was she taking her out to clubs every night like that bothers me I don't know I just feel like a real friend would have been like hey Britney you know, you have two little babies. You're drinking a little too much. Yes, moms deserve to go out and party and have fun or do whatever from time to time. But no, we don't need to be going to Vegas. You know what I mean? Like we don't we don't have to. How many times have I said, you know what I mean, by the way? Um, well, we don't have to go to Vegas. Like it's fine. You know, we can just we can just not go out all night. We, we don't have to go to Brandon Davis's party. Like, we've been to enough parties. Why don't we stay in and have a slumber party? And I know Brittany is very headstrong and she probably was like, no, I want to go out. I want to go out. I want to go out. So, you know, maybe I'm just talking on my ass, but I don't like it. Like, I, I don't. Oh, I'm so protective of Brittany. 
I'm like suspicious of anyone who's ever even spoken to her. I'm like, I know exactly what you're trying to do. Stay away from her. Anyway, get away from, get away from that like angelic perfect. Okay, I really need to move on. But anyways, so Paris and Brittany are walking down the street away from the Beverly Hills Hotel to get to Paris's car. Also, is it shocking to anyone else how much all these people drove themselves around? Isn't that one of the best things about being rich is you could afford to have a car service? Like you do not have to drive. And I mean, and I like driving, but not when I'm going out partying in in LA at night, you know, I want someone to drive me so I can drink and like have fun. And the fact that Paris went to jail because she got a DUI is the dumbest thing on ever. Like that's, how can you be that dumb? I mean, yeah, the rest of us get DUIs. I mean, I have it, but... (laughs) It's like a lot of people get DUIs, but they can't necessarily afford to have a car service take them everywhere. It's just so weird to me that like Britney Spears, icon, legend, was just like wandering down the street with Paris Hilton and getting into her car, you know? It's like, why didn't they have a freaking Escalade waiting outside? You know what I mean? It's just weird. I don't know. So I promise I'm going to stop dissecting like every little detail of this, but I just, I mean, this is what you guys came for, right? It's, it's Bimbo Summit. This is major. It's funny because when Paris and Brittany are walking down the street, you can actually hear Lindsay. <laughs> you, you can hear Lindsay going, Paris! <laughs> Paris! And Paris is telling the paparazzi not to be perverts because they had photographed Brittany without underwear getting out of a car. I believe it was Paris's car. Paris was trying to protect Brittany from that happening again. Who else did it happen to? Did it happen to Paris? It definitely happened to Lindsay at one point, right? The paparazzi was so disgusting. They they would go for upskirts. There were literally entire like Angel Fire web pages dedicated to upskirts and nip slips. Those were a big deal. Nip slips were a huge deal. Uh, I remember that there was a whole like segment on a VH1 show like Best Week Ever or something all about nip slips and it was like not presented in a horrifying way. It was presented like, oh well, if this happens to you on the red carpet, you know, you're SOL. We're going to publish it. Everyone's going to see your boobs instead of it being like, this girl's nipple slipped out of her top for a minute. Like, let me delete that picture because, you know, I want to be a decent human being. No. These paparazzos were sending their kids to college based off of these women's vaginas, you know, and nobody felt bad for them. People were just like, oh, well, they deserve it. They're rich, famous, beautiful. They're going out, they're drinking. They deserve it. They're not wearing underwear. You know, they they deserve what they get. Like that was very much the attitude around this time. So uh, the paparazzi asks Paris, did you hit Lindsay? And Paris is like, no. <laughs> and she's like, she's right there. Why don't you ask her? And then Elliot Mintz comes walking over with Lindsay. Let me just say, that years later, Paris Hilton was on Andy Cohen's Sirius XM show, and she tried to completely change the narrative of what happened. I don't understand people that lie about things that are provable. I'm like, we all saw, like, this was one of the most iconic moments of the early 2000s. We all know, like, we all saw this. But anyway, so Andy asks her about that night, and he's like, so you and Lindsay and Brittany were out partying, and she's like, no, me and Brittany were partying. She makes it sound like Lindsay was this like desperate stage five clinger who just weaseled her way into the car. She basically said that her and Brittany were trying to have a good time and Lindsay just kind of showed up and got into her car and she didn't know what to do and she didn't want to be rude. So she just 
was like, okay, whatever. And Paris was so bitchy about it. Like Paris has said so many freaking bitchy, rude things about Lindsay. Paris kicked Lindsay while she was down so many times. You know, like, remember when Paris had that show? I don't even remember what show it was. Didn't she have, like, a show on Oxygen at one point or something? Am I hallucinating? Didn't she have some weird reality show? Like, it wasn't my BFF. It was something else, right? Emma, do you guys... <laughs> do you guys have any idea what I'm talking about? I'm not... See, I don't... Here's the thing. I don't care, really, about, like... I don't follow Paris Hilton that closely, so I don't know what I'm even talking about, but... I remember Paris, wasn't she doing community service or something? And she like met this girl who was like, oh, Lindsay. Like the girl genuinely thought that Paris was Lindsay. And Paris was like, I'm not Lindsay. And then she had a voiceover in the episode that was like, I'm not Lindsay. If I was Lindsay, I would be stealing that girl's earrings, not complimenting them. Because, and we'll get to this. (laughs) Lindsay had some sticky fingers at, at one point or another. Um, so yeah, like Paris, why do like, you're really like, you're recording a voiceover to put down this girl who's in and out of trouble constantly. Like you're just doing that because you know that it's going to be news. Like no one ever talks about your shitty show, but they're going to talk about it now because you dissed Lindsay, you know, I'm just not buying the whole, like the way that people love Paris Hilton nowadays, I'm just not buying it. Like, why does no one even care that she said the N word on camera and never apologized? Or did she? Hold on, let me Google that. She apologized for it, but only through Elliot Mintz. I don't know. I feel like if you say the N-word and you're caught on camera, you should say something yourself. Like, you shouldn't talk through your publicist. Although this was in 2007, so I don't know. I guess people talk through their publicist more. But she said through Elliot, Each of us has used words we have regretted later. This was six years ago. She was 20 at the time. It was New Year's Eve. She had obviously been drinking. She sincerely regrets using those words. She is not a racist or an (laughs) anti-Semite. Convincing. I'm not like, I didn't even mean for this podcast to turn into like a Paris Hilton hate piece. I don't even hate her. Like, honestly, sometimes I enjoy Paris. I just... I don't know. I'm just not, like, why do people love her so much? I don't get it. Like, except for being an icon of the early 2000s, like, I don't, you know what I mean? I, like, I just, I don't know. In this article, this is a Yahoo article, by the way, if you want to look it up, that includes all of her public apologies. Okay, it says, in 2012, a New York cab driver recorded a conversation Hilton was having with a friend where she said, among other things, gay guys are the horniest people in the world. They're disgusting. Dude, most of them probably have AIDS. Very cute. Very cute, Paris. I, like, really hate that. My cousin was actually a famous activist. His name was Vito Russo. He died in 1990, so I never got to meet him, and AIDS was the cause. And I'm just really sensitive to shit like that. Like, I just... What that did to the gay community and the world around that time is just, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't even want to, I'm like, I'm feeling sad now, so I want to move on, but she did apologize for that one in her own words, and she said, I cannot put into words how much I wish I could take back every word. HIV and AIDS can hurt anyone, gay and straight, men and women. It's something I take very seriously and should not have been thrown around in conversation. She called the gay community the strongest and most inspiring people I know and begged for forgiveness, reiterating that her comments weren't an accurate representation of who she is. Well, I don't know. It seems like you just throw around hateful comments really easily or you just cackle in the background while somebody else does oh remember when she said that about oh my god there's an it says she apologized to kim kardashian (laughs) 
Remember when Paris said about Kim's ass, she goes, I would not want Kim's butt. It's gross. It reminds me of cottage cheese inside a big trash bag. Oh my God. And then she apologized saying, I was just joking around and I made a stupid joke. I felt really bad afterwards. So I contacted Kim and apologized. It was a silly thing to say. Kim's hot. Kim is hot. And you're probably the number one person that thinks that because you were probably jealous as hell, which is why you said that. Because that's a really specific comment. I always feel the more specific the shade towards someone, uh, the more jealous they are. You know, your haters pay the most attention. And honestly, again, I don't even know why I just turned this into a hate podcast of Paris Holden. Like, I don't hate her. I just think she's one of those people that's gotten away with so much shit. And I don't know why, but whatever. So I didn't mean to sully the joy of Bimbo Summit here. So Paris acting like Lindsay just kind of jumped in the car and photobombed and was tagging along is a bold-faced lie. And she definitely tried to rewrite history when she was talking to Andy Cohen because the whole thing was actually Elliot Mintz, her publicist's idea. It was an orchestrated photo op to take the heat off of Paris. Lindsay claimed that Paris hit her and even though... Lindsay's word wasn't exactly gospel at this time like people were already considering her to be this unruly unreliable narrator but still that's a serious thing being accused of hurting someone and I think Elliot very wisely knew that if he got a photo op of them together then it would squash all those rumors I'm pretty sure the original plan was just to get a photo of Lindsay and Paris together. Elliot is the one who invited Lindsay to the party they were at that night because Paris and Brittany went to Brandon Davis's party. Now, why would Lindsay be at Brandon Davis's party when he just called her a fire crotch a few months ago and, you know, was such an asshole? She wouldn't have been going to that. It was Elliot Mintz that contacted Lindsay's people and convinced them to get Lindsay to show up there. Paris acting like, oh, she just showed up. That's like a complete, complete and total lie. It's really embarrassing to me that Paris, all these years later, is still trying to make Lindsay look bad in the whole scenario. And she even talked about it on her own podcast. And she was like, you know, now when I think about it, it was just so juvenile. You know, we were just, it was like high school drama. And I wish Lindsay the best now and stuff. And it's like, well, just a couple years ago in your adult life, you were still saying that Lindsay's just so desperate you know she she photobombed she crashed the party it's like girl like are you that jealous of her because she actually had like a real career in Hollywood and had legitimacy you know like not everyone is a DJ some of us I'm, I'm no offense to DJs like DJs DJ DJing is a talent but like Lindsay had real Hollywood cred I don't know I feel like Paris was jealous of that because why else would she just it, relentless over the years like you're still doing it it's kind of like Justin Timberlake with Britney like, oh, the the nonsense, the, the amount of years. Like, remember when years and years after they broke up, Justin announced Madonna at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he said something like, oh, you know, she... She created all these uh, copycats, like all these all these girls tried to copy Madonna. I might have even dated one or two of them. Ha ha ha. It's like, really? Move on. And yes, Andy was asking Paris about it, but why did she have to lie like that? And why not just tell the real story after all these years? I mean, God, it's been so long. Just say like, Lin you know, Lindsay claimed that I hit her and I didn't hit her. So my publicist and I were like, why don't we get a picture together of us being like BFF? And I think that honestly, Elliot and Paris just hit the gold mine when it turns out that Britney was in the photo too. Because Paris and Britney had been partying all the time together, like I said. So I feel like it was just 
you know, lucky kismet that Brittany decided to go out with Paris again that night. And this iconic moment was created. Now, remember when I asked a few seconds ago, why does Paris Hilton get away with everything? Why do people love Paris so much? I think that Elliot and his representation of her around this time is a big reason for that because he was really smart. He had this history, this career in Hollywood that spanned decades. He was John Lennon and Yoko Ono's spokesperson during the whole double fantasy era. So if you're not familiar with Beatles stuff, the Beatles broke up in 1970 and John was already with Yoko and he started making music with her and he died in 1980 so there was this era from 1970 to 1980 that was him and Yoko making music together having a baby you know that whole thing their epic iconic romance and Elliot Mintz was representing him around this time now of course when Elliot and John Lennon met in the early 70s John was already iconic even if he did nothing after the Beatles and was just a Beatle he would be a legend right but he is also legendary for what he did after the Beatles. Like, he remained iconic. Not everybody does that. Like, I wouldn't say that Ringo's post-Beatles career is iconic. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't have Even George. Like, I wouldn't say George was iconic after the Beatles. Paul is. But you know what I mean? That's Paul. So it's, it's different, right? And I think Elliot Mintz deserves some credit for how iconic John Lennon was during this time. You know, like how legendary he still was and how remembered he is now. And I think there's a correlation that Paris Hilton at the height of her fame and her party girl ways and her legal troubles and the feuds and the money and the success and everything, Elliot Mintz was her publicist, a.k.a. spokesperson. And look how well she's done. Now, I'm not crediting Elliot with the careers of Paris and John Lennon, obviously. Like, they're so... <laughs> There's so many reasons why those two people are iconic and I'm not comparing them. Obviously, they're very, very, very different and legendary for different ways. But I just think it's interesting that the two most famous people that Elliot worked for are just iconic in their own way and they've done bad things, but people don't really focus on them. Like people have uncovered some stuff about John Lennon in later years and, you know, People say that he was terrible to his first wife, Cynthia. She wrote a book about him and he was abusive toward her. And, you know, he did some things and said some things that are not politically correct now and all that stuff. And people have tried to like shame him for that. But it, nothing ever comes of it. I mean, he's John Lennon. And now we just think of it as, oh, whatever. It's John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Like, yeah, they're iconic, whatever. But why, like what makes somebody iconic, you know? Like I wonder how much Elliot had to do with all of the stuff that John and Yoko were doing when they were doing all the bed piece and hair piece stuff and give piece a chance. And, you know, they were doing those sit-ins and things like that. You know, I... I, again, this is more of a theory. I'm not saying for sure, like, confirmed Elliot Mintz is a genius, but I do think that he had something to do with the success of John and Yoko back then, and I also think he had a lot to do with the success of Paris Hilton during this era. And if you're a pop culture fan, you have to go follow Elliot on Instagram or at least just go look at it and scroll through because he knows everybody. He's one of those people in Hollywood that just has met everyone... Before he was a publicist and a spokesperson, he worked for a radio station and he would go to celebrities' houses and interview them. And it seems like he must be an incredibly charming person. And honestly, in some of the paparazzi videos uh, that we see him in with Paris, like he seems very classy and polite. Like he just, I think Paris was very, very smart to hire him. 
I just think he handled her career so beautifully. Like imagine being Paris Hilton's publicist around this time. Are you kidding? He would be partying with her to the early morning hours. And he wasn't just a publicist. He was a true friend. And they are still friends to this day. He posts tons of pictures on his Instagram with Paris. You know, he was at her wedding. She always invites him to all of her parties and the whole Hilton family does. But he also has pictures on there with Priscilla Presley and Jack Nicholson and Cindy Lauper, Lionel Richie, Boy George, Paula Abdul, all the Hiltons, like I said, not just Paris, Angelina Jolie, Brooke Shields, Stevie Wonder, Jay Leno, Willie Nelson, Ringo Starr, Barbara Streisand, Al Pacino. Like, I mean, the list goes on. Like, if you just, and some of them are old pictures. Like, some of them are people he only met once or twice. And some of them are people that he developed a huge, you know, like lifelong friendship with. He's always with Paris Jackson. He represents her now, which can we talk about Paris Jackson? And first of all, I don't know. There's just so many, there's so much there. I'm, I'm not even going to. Like, I'm not even gonna, you know, but he is, he actually still represents John Lennon, too. Um, he is kind of like an unofficial spokesperson for the John Lennon estate. But I think his main client now is Paris Jackson. And he says that he advises celebrities on their relationship with the media. And I think Paris Jackson has a great relationship with the media. Considering that her father is Michael Jackson, I mean, I think most people would have assumed that there was no possible way this young girl could end up having a positive relationship with the media, right? I don't know. I just think Paris Jackson is so gorgeous. She seems so self-assured and artistic and cool. I don't know. I just feel like his guidance of her, whatever that is, has been really well done. And he's definitely somebody, I think he's incredibly charming because it seems like everyone that he interviewed, he's still friends with. And he interviewed them back in like the 70s. So he just has a great reputation in Hollywood. And I believe everything he says, by the way, he tells all these anecdotes on his Instagram. Like I said, you have to if you're listening to this podcast, you have to listen to him because you'll be interested in what he has to say. But I'm going to read two of his posts. One is about Paris and one is about Brittany. Unfortunately, I could not find a post of his about Lindsay. So here's what he wrote about Paris. Among other things, he posts about Paris all the time, but this is the one I'm choosing to read because it's really good. Today was a day of quiet reflection and solitary realignment. Last Thursday, I attended the wedding of Paris Hilton to Carter Room. It was the most exquisite and opulent wedding I ever witnessed and I loved every moment. It was a deeply intense and emotional experience for me. I represented Paris about a dozen years ago. She was in her late 20s and it seemed I was with her virtually every night on the late night nightclub party circuit. Brittany, Kim, and Lindsay often joined us. My job was to look after her as best I could, tend to endless details of her life, and handle her media. Is it normal, by the way, for a publicist to just go party all night with their client? And when I say party, I don't mean that he was partying. Like, he wasn't drunk, to my knowledge. He doesn't seem drunk in all the videos. He seems very lucid, and he seems like he's working and on the job, even if Paris is just club hopping from Hyde to Ledoux. You know, I mean, it makes sense that he would be there if she's appearing on a red carpet for a party that's like a sponsored party or something, but... It seemed like he was just out with her all night. Anyways, let me get back to this. I was awakened almost every morning by TMZ to explain the events of the night before. We had some good times and challenging ones as well. I recall the first meeting we had at her house. We sat in her modest living room. She looked me directly in the eyes and in a voice a few octaves lower than her public persona, she said, it's important you know that I'm in on the joke. I got it immediately and never looked back. Interesting, right? 
The formula was academic. First, you gain the attention of the public to a point where you are omnipresent in their lives. They can't avoid you. You must be everywhere, including the labels of water bottle atop coolers where people always gathered. Once there, you can do a variety of things, one of which is to become very rich by branding yourself to sell products. The other is to use all that fame game attention to support groups and efforts to make the world a better place. Paris has done both. She has created a billion-dollar empire, and she is responsible for congressional legislation putting an end to the mistreatment of kids sent away to behavioral schools and camps where she was once traumatized. As I watched her dad, Rick Hilton, walk his daughter down the aisle and listen to the exchanging of the vows between Paris and Carter, as multiple video crews were covering the event from every conceivable angle for her new reality series on the Peacock channel, I was reminded of how far she has come. Yes, she has brilliantly crafted another 13-episode series, but the product has changed. So clearly a lot of respect for Paris, right? And... I'm also going to read a little bit of what he said about Kim Kardashian, even though it has literally nothing to do with this series. But I, <laughs> but I just find it interesting how he described what she does. So he wrote, what Kim does for a living is garner public attention and maintain it. I've never heard someone say that before about her. You know, I've heard people say famous for being famous. I always say, well, she's famous for being on television. She's had a reality show for 10 plus years, you know. So yeah, he says, what Kim does for a living is garner public attention and maintain it. Once she has her audience involved in her world, she attempts to sell them products. Her business is merchandising. In an age of the frequently referenced fleeting attention spans, this requires great skill, marketing strategies, demographic research, electronic wizardry, sophisticated media planning, and endless perseverance. Maintaining the fame game is a 24-7 occupation. That's what she does, and she has been doing it far longer than the predicted proverbial 15 minutes. Her techniques are studied by media experts, marketing mavens, and those who advise Fortune 500 companies and potential political candidates. She has done well. So true. Like I said, am I Kim's biggest fan? No, but I think that is great insight into what she does and what this whole Kardashian thing means. And I think it also gives insight to Paris Hilton as well, because Paris did it first, you know. It could be argued whether or not she did it as well as Kim, but she did do it first. And now I will read his comments on Britney. Brit and I met in 2007, so that is not true. It was 2006, because Bimbo Summit happened in 2006, but we'll give him a pass on that one. <laughs> it was not a great time in her life and a peculiar one in mine. I found myself immersed in the world of young Hollywood as a media consultant, spin doctor, handholder, fixer of problems, eternal late-night social companion, publicist, and father confessor. Isn't that interesting? Like, why would he be all of that to Paris? I just think that's really fascinating. Like, why, like, why wasn't he just her publicist? Like, why wasn't he answering phone calls from an office you know why was he out with her all night it's just interesting to me I'm not like suggesting anything weird like I'm not being like oh they secretly dated <laughs> but I'm just saying like what why you know it, it's it just I feel like he's such an interesting person I want him to write a book it was the height of in-your-face electronic paparazzi pop culture and it was constantly chaotic I liked Britney from our first meeting. In spite of her challenges at the time, or because of them, we connected. What I witnessed was a young lady from humble origins, born in Mississippi, raised in Louisiana, who bought the $1 Powerball ticket and won the Hollywood jackpot before she knew how to count. So true. She was thrust upon the fast track without a roadmap or brake pedals. It happens that way sometimes. 
Britt, along with a few of her young, well-known friends, did the same kind of things that Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, and the other members of the Rat Pack did generations before in Las Vegas. Back then, people paid $1,000 a seat to watch those folks roll out a bar on a Vegas stage and behave outrageously. It was considered show business, macho style. When Brit and some of her gal pals decided to play out a pseudo-similar act, some predicted the beginning of the end of Western civilization. The media reaction and endless nightly attention surprised me. I felt it was sometimes predicated upon sexism, ageism, envy, and jealousy. Of course. The predictions were dire and unfounded. There were storm clouds on the horizon, but the sky did not fall. For the record, I am not an apologist for bad behavior or illegal activities, and clearly the envelope was pushed far too close to the edge of the table. None of the participants escaped unscathed, and a few were harshly punished for crossing the line. He continues, Never close the book on the potential of the human spirit or write anyone off because they may be going through challenging times. I was taught to stand on the side of the accused or abandoned and hope someone will be there for me when it is my turn in the barrel. Recovery is admirable and deserves more attention than failure. Forgiveness is the essential teaching, and everybody loves a rocky story. When Britney was the object of public scorn, media bullying, and a lifestyle that spun out of control, she found it in herself to put back the essential pieces of a life independent of the excesses of premature, uncontrollable fame. Good for her. May others find inspiration to move forward with their own sometimes tormented selves, regardless of profession. One night in 2007, when she was wobbling on quicksand, we sat together in a nightclub in Beverly Hills listening to a live jazz performance. She appeared to be deeply engaged in the music. At the end of the set, she expressed to me her appreciation for jazz because it allowed her to be in a place beyond thinking. I am paraphrasing. At that time, there were far too many words written and spoken about her all by others who did not know her or could not possibly understand her unworldly reality. I am very heartened her inner spirit prevailed. Britney went on to earn more than $200 million, source Forbes. She has sold 100 million albums and more than 100 million singles, source Billboard. She performed exclusively at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas for four years. Her residency, which began in 2013, she reportedly received $300,000 per night for her sold-out shows. It had been a good ride for Britney and an even better one for Planet Hollywood. The sales of her fragrance brand with Elizabeth Arden reportedly exceeded $2 billion. 40 million people follow her tweets, and that's just one page of the portfolio of her branding experience. Of course, some missteps cost her more than half of her net worth, the Vegas platform disappeared, and her assets were placed under the conservatorship of her dad. Thanks to her fans and the media, a few months ago, a judge ruled that Brit's dad would no longer have a say in the way his daughter now lives his life. The Free Britney movement triumphed. And two months ago, Brit announced her engagement to a man she has been with for the past four years. So what is the point of this roller coaster ride of fame, shame, and fortune? He needs to write a book, right? Like, I didn't have to read the rest of that like I didn't have to read his summary of the rest of her career because you guys all know that but I just did because I don't know I feel like he speaks really eloquently and I like the way that he points out the highlights of people's careers and he reminds people of these successes instead of posting gossipy shit which I mean he like if anyone knows <laughs> I, I don't even want to know the shit that he knows about Britney Lindsay and Paris I don't want to know what he's seen. I mean, I desperately do. But come on, Brittany, 
in 2006 and 2007 and he was like literally there holding Paris's hand can you imagine what he has seen I only wish that he would have started representing Britney in a parallel universe maybe that's what happened next but in this one unfortunately it didn't so you see Elliot walking Lindsay over to the car. So even though Paris tried to say that Lindsay just kind of shoehorned her way in, it was Elliot, her publicist, that made sure Lindsay came over to the car and she got in. And I love the paparazzi video because the, even the paparazzi, they're realizing in that moment that they will never have to work again. One of them even says, "Ooh, this is a moment. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was a moment. And I'll never forget when it came out. And the whole the whole thing with Bimbo Summit, the title. So the reason why that is what this is called is because the next day the New York Post published the picture on the front page with the headline Bimbo Summit. I posted it on the Instagram. Some people didn't really get it and didn't like that I posted that. I think some people were confused because obviously I am a fan of these people. So it's like, why would you post something that calls them bimbos? But that's why it's funny because they're not bimbos, you know, like that. It's just <laughs> it's like taking that whole thing back. You know, it's like when someone calls themselves a slut or something. It's like, I know I'm not a slut, so I can call myself a slut. And even if you are a slut and you call yourself a slut, you're still owning it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's funny because they are not bimbos. If they were actually bimbos, it would just be like, duh. I don't know. That's my assessment of that. Soon after the New York Post cover was published, Newsweek conducted a poll which said 77% of American adults thought that the trio had too much influence on the younger generation. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, you cannot, it's unspeakable how much influence they had on my generation. It's, you can't, there's, there would be no way, I could spend 10 more hours talking on this podcast and still not summarize it. Dina Lohan, of course, made a comment uh, when she was asked about Bimbo Summit and she was asked, what what do you think about Paris and Britney spending time with your daughter? Are you okay with it? Whatever. She said, they're the American dream. They're the Trumps of the little world, these kids. Yikes. I know that she meant that in a positive way. She meant like they're rich, I guess, and successful. <laughs> like <laughs> She continues, Paris is a really smart girl and she's come really far. Paris's mom was wonderfully embracing to me. You know, you can't blame parents for kids the shade so recently on Paris's podcast she addressed this whole thing she told basically the same story but she tried to seem a little bit nicer about it like not as rude insinuating that Lindsay just kind of tagged along she said that was a night that Brittany and I went out and we were at the Beverly Hills Hotel at our friend's party and we decided to leave and go home we were walking to the car and all of a sudden got swarmed by tons of paparazzi. Just as we were walking to the car, that's when Lindsay came up. It was kind of awkward because we were having some drama. At that moment, I saw Lindsay walking toward us. She explained that the paparazzo asked her if she had hit Lindsay. And Paris continues, at that moment, I saw Lindsay walking toward us. And I said, why don't you just ask her? And Lindsay said, no, Paris would never hit me. I've known her since I'm 15. It was basically just not admitting what she did. It was quite awkward, you know, to be asked that question and just so weird how the whole thing happened. I know it's so weird when you're publicist and you make a distinct plan for a photo op. Isn't that weird? All of a sudden I looked over and she's in my car. We weren't getting along, so I was polite. It was just really hard to even get out of there because I just couldn't see with all the cameras. She did some things to really hurt me and betrayed my trust and it caused a lot of drama. So we weren't friends anymore and it was kind of like this on and off friendship. But when I think about it now, we were just so young and immature. It was like high school drama, especially in the LA scene. 
and to live it out in public with the media constantly trying to stir things up and make things worse than they were. Back then, the media really enjoyed having girls feud with each other. I saw Lindsay got engaged, and I know that we've had our differences in the past, but I just wanted to say congratulations to her. I am genuinely very happy for her, and it just makes me so happy to see. 15 years later, so much has happened in the past two weeks. I got married, Brittany got her freedom back and got engaged. Lindsay just got engaged. I love seeing how different our lives are now and how much we've grown up. She continued to say, in the 2000s, that's what it was all about. They loved pitting women against each other. That was their thing. Every single tabloid would say, so-and-so hates this person. Feud just causes more drama than there even was. With the internet, it's changed so much, that whole landscape, but during the time, it was vicious. I've dealt with it for a very long time. Things have happened, but I'm an adult now. I just realized that a lot of this was just being immature. Yes, there have been people that have hurt me, but I feel like now that I'm married and grown up, I'm starting this next phase in my life, and I don't want to have any of that negative energy. So I forgive anyone that has hurt me in life. I just feel that it's good to let all of that go. So that was the most recent comment that she made on it, which obviously happened very recently, but... After her original comments on Andy Cohen, Lindsay was also on Andy's serious show. Like a year after that, this is when she was promoting the Lohan Beach Club. So he asked her about it and she instantly just did not want to talk about it. And she was like, oh, Lindsay kind of jumped in the car. And we." she was kind of acting like they weren't having it and that you came back with the house with them and they went to bed and they left you there. I haven't even seen there. her in years. Do you remember that night? No. You don't. No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> yeah, I do. You do remember that. But I just haven't seen her in years, and that's not the story, so let's just pass on. Right. Well, let me ask I'm you I'm not this. here to talk about Paris. She, <laughs> I know. But she made it seem like she didn't even know how you got home that night. Maybe she, she was doesn't like, remember it. There End you go. End of story. Right. Okay. <laughs> Lindsay is so iconic. Like, I know I've said that word a thousand times this episode, but imagine you get to hang out with Britney Spears, and you just, like, don't even care to talk about it. Like, you're just like, mm. <laughs> In November of 2021... There were several outlets that published articles about Bimbo Summit, and this is because it was the 15-year anniversary. And basically, these articles just summarize what I've already told you, so I'm not going to read through them. But you can Google it if you want to read even further into this magical moment. So... The last thing I'm going to say that confirms what I believe to be the actual truth of what happened this night, which is that the whole thing was orchestrated by Elliot Mintz and Paris, is these leaked messages between Lindsay and Shannon Mochler, who is Travis Barker's ex-wife and the mother of, I believe, one of his daughters, maybe two of his kids, I can't remember, but... Anyway, because this was something that was happening around this time a lot. Like there was the whole Paris exposed thing. It was just really common for people to hack into celebrities' devices and share their personal photos and messages and stuff. And Shayna and Lindsay were sending messages back and forth. And one of the things Shayna asked Lindsay was, Saw pics of you with Brit and P. What the hell is Brit doing? Anyway, hit me up when you're free. XOXO. Lindsay replies, it was more of a photo op that night. Ta-da. You see? K-Fed. Well, she's, she writes K-F is a crazy SOB from the stories she told. He even called me that night asking where she was. That whole thing is overrated. Let's double date sometime. Anyone in mind? <laughs> I love how Lindsay's hustle to like date every man in Hollywood never stopped. I mean, she literally just is talking about Britney Spears' private life. And then she's like, anyway, do you have anyone in mind for a double date? 
I just love Lindsay. Anyway, why would K-Fed call Lindsay? Like, how did he get Lindsay's phone number? Why would he call her to check on Brittany? You know, how, like, is Lindsay lying? I don't know. But I do believe that it was a photo op and it was one of the most successful photo ops in history. It, It remains so iconic. So let's move on to the rest of Lindsay's holiday season of 2006, if you will. And I say this because Lindsay made a cameo in, I'm going to say the word again, an iconic movie called The Holiday, which is, you know, it's kind of a cheesy Christmas movie, but I mean, most Christmas movies are cheesy. I feel like that's kind of a rite of passage in Christmas movies. They kind of have to be cheesy. And in The Holiday, Cameron Diaz plays an editor of trailers, which I thought was such a smart idea for someone who lives in L.A. in a movie to to have that job. She's editing a trailer and we see that it's a trailer starring Lindsay Lohan and James Franco for a fake movie. And even though this was not a Lindsay Lohan movie by any stretch of the imagination, it was a good little cameo for her to do because she was releasing these indie movies back to back that didn't do that well. So for her to be in this big budget holiday movie, you know, very wholesome type of thing, it reflected well on Lindsay. And I think audiences really enjoyed seeing her pop up like that. And the director, Nancy Myers, explained why Lindsay was in the movie. And she said, I know Lindsay because I directed The Parent Trap and I told her she owes me everything. So I made her do it. I called her and said, you have to do this for me. But she was so sweet about it. She was totally there. And Lindsay said of the movie, I love Nancy and I would do anything for her. And Lindsay has stated in recent years, like 2020, 2021, that she and Nancy Myers are still really close. So I think that's really sweet that they met on the parent trap and they still talk from time to time. I know Lindsay has a similar relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis, as I've talked about in the Freaky Friday episode. So I like these maternal older women in Hollywood kind of helping Lindsay giving her advice at least that's what I like to imagine I like to imagine that Lindsay is like trying to make a decision and she just goes through her phone and she just texts like Jamie Lee Curtis and then she just hits copy and then pastes it into another text for Nancy Myers and then like copies and pastes it into another text for Meryl Streep and she just sends it to them and says oh I don't know should I do this movie or should I do this or that or you know, uh, I like this guy, but I don't know. It's, it, he might not be the best. Listen to what happened last night when we were on a date. I don't know. And then they all reply with their responses. That would be, I'm going to say the word again, iconic. Um, I'm just imagining that that's what's happening. So confirmed um, in my mind, that's how Lindsay makes decisions. So around this time, Lindsay started going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now you have to remember that In this era, people weren't talking about alcoholism and addiction and mental health the way that they do now. So it was still a secret, in quotes, that Lindsay had these problems. You know, I think a lot of people probably thought that she was just being young and going out and partying and they didn't really think that she had a problem. Lindsay actually started sporting an Alcoholics Anonymous pin and the paparazzi would follow her to AA meetings, but... It's Alcoholics Anonymous, like you're not supposed to be seen there. And obviously for most people that aren't famous, it's not really an issue, but it's still, you know, there is a lot of shame that goes along with these types of 
issues. There shouldn't be, but there is. And, you know, people don't want their family and friends to necessarily know that they're getting help. And that's why it's Alcoholics Anonymous. So it was just really disgusting and, and ridiculous that the paparazzi was following her to these AA meetings and reporting on it and taking pictures of her. She really just had no chance. You know, she was trying to get help. She was doing the things that she was supposed to be doing and she just couldn't do it privately. So, of course, every time she went, it led to scrutiny, which is crazy because she was doing the right things. Like, if you have a problem and you're going to AA, like, how can you scrutinize somebody for doing that, you know? Lindsay was also spending the holiday season going to strip clubs, as we all do. Can't wait until December hits because I am just in and out of the bada bing, you know, weekly. And she was doing it, though, in particular because she was about to start filming I Know Who Killed Me, in which she played a stripper. So she was doing some very serious research. And there were even strippers who gave comments to magazines and newspapers and stuff. A woman named Katya said she was a big tipper, and I think that's great. A woman named Brooke said she'll make a good stripper. She's a natural. Hmm. I haven't seen I Know Who Killed Me in a while. I'm going to have to rewatch it before I get to that. <laughs> I don't remember her stripping being particularly like impressive, though, but I think it's nice these strippers said some nice things about her. For a while, Lindsay's people were not commenting on her going to AA meetings and having a chip and things like that because it's, like I said, supposed to be anonymous. But her publicist, Leslie Sloan Zelnick, finally did comment and said, yes, she's been attending some Alcoholic Anonymous meetings and it's going to be a slow process. This is a positive period. Let's hope that the press doesn't turn it into a negative. Maybe if the press backs off on her, she'll be in a good space. Let's see if we don't have to hear about it every day and they're following her and trying to find her because that will just really not be good. It wasn't good. It was bullshit. Like I look, I'm I'm not like a fan of the paparazzi or anything, but I think for the most part, if I was a celebrity, I wouldn't really complain about it because you do enter the business knowing this. But I give extra empathy to Lindsay because she, when she entered the business when she was eight, she wasn't thinking about, oh no, when I need to go to my AA meetings, they're going to be photographing me outside, you know? So whatever. But in this case, I just, I, I really think the paparazzi should have backed off and gotten away. I mean, why do I need to be seeing her coming out of an AA meeting? It's so embarrassing. There's other fucking people there, too. Like, it makes me so mad. These people are just trying to get better and, you know. Anyway, there were a bunch of crazy things that happened around this time. There were, Lindsay was going out constantly. So I don't know if she was actually sober. She was in AA. She wasn't supposed to be drinking. But she was still going out and partying a lot. And I think that Lindsay delusionally at this time thought that she could go out and continue her social life without drinking and without being tempted. So one of the big events that she went to, which I don't blame her for going to this because they were honoring, in quotes, her. She went to the GQ Men of the Year party. Now the man of the year was Leonardo DiCaprio and he was at the party. I actually bought this magazine because I was obsessed with Leo at the time. And so Leo was the honoree at the event, but Lindsay was the other one because every year when GQ picks its men of the year, they also pick one female obsession of the year, which was Lindsay. Apparently she caused all this trouble at the party. A lot of it is complete speculation. So if you want to go look that up and see what the tabloids were saying, you can. Like I said, I'm not going to get into all of that. But Lindsay did do some interviews on the red carpet and they kept asking her about Bimbo Summit, obviously. She said that the hookup, meaning 
the three of them in the car together, was more of a photo op than a friendship. And she goes, you know how it is, and shrugged and walked away, which I think is funny. Like, you know, I I love how Lindsay was never pretending that it was anything other than that. (laughs) But Paris has, like, crafted this whole story uh, that she's been telling for years that is not true. It's like, who's the desperate one? I just, that's all I'm saying. So another crazy thing that happened. So Al Gore was one of the men of the year, one of the GQ men of the year. So he was at the party as well. And after the party, Lindsay came home and wrote an email that she sent to a bunch of people, including her publicist, agents, her family, some friends. And she was talking about saving the world. (laughs) I love her. And getting Al Gore to help her with her image. I just, Lindsay is, I love her. Okay. (laughs) Al Gore will help me, she said. He came up to me last night and he said he would be very happy to have a conversation with me. If he is willing to help me, let's find out. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Evan Metropolis, and John Doerr, who works with them, would be willing if we just ask. If we just ask, in caps. Uh, I'm reading this in an ABC News article and it says... Lohan told friends of a desire to release a politically slash morally correct, fully adequate letter to the press and spoke of how our society should be educated for the better of our country. The Freaky Friday star said she has a lot to offer because I have such an impact on our younger generations as well as generations older than me, which we all know and can obviously see. Let's sue the tabloids for saying the things that they say. Defamation of character. Lindsay's publicist had no comment. Al Gore did uh, comment through his people, though. It was a little shady. They said, I can confirm for you that Mr. Gore has only met Miss Lohan once very briefly at the GQ Men of the Year dinner last week. There were hundreds of other guests. So a few days later in Hollywood, she went to a jewelry event at the Hollywood Club Shag and she was late to the party and People Magazine was outside doing interviews on the red carpet and I don't know if they asked her why she was late but she said to them I just left an AA meeting and then she goes I've been going to AA for a year by the way and they asked her why didn't you say so until recently and she goes well it's no one's business that's why it's anonymous (laughs) can't argue with that She continued, I haven't had a drink in seven days or anything. I'm not even legal to, so why would I? I don't drink when I go to clubs. I drink with my friends at home, but there's no need to. I feel better not drinking. It's more fun. I have Red Bull. I didn't feel bad before. I never felt bad. I just wanted to, like, find a balance. I was out too much. I was too caught up. I mean, I'm 20 years old. I was off from work. I was getting ready to start a film. And I was, like, going out just to get it out of my system. I was going out too much, and I knew that. And I have more to live for than that. I was like, I don't want to be written about at these clubs with these people. I work, I act, I have a living. That's what I do every day. I work every single day. I love when people say that they work every single day as if everybody doesn't work every single day. (laughs) You know, like we all work. I don't know. I just think that's funny. Like we all work. When asked if she had advice for those seeking recovery from substance abuse, Lohan said, I think don't do it for someone else. Do it for you. Because if you do it for someone else, you're going to relapse. It's not going to be a change. You have to really do something if you want to do it. And if it doesn't work, you're not meant to. So another email leaked where Lindsay was talking about the strippers that she was meeting with and practicing practicing with for 
her movie, I Know Who Killed Me. And she wrote, they're all whores, except for some, obviously. So three hours of pole dancing and I'm bruised everywhere. I mean, we're talking like upper and inner thigh action bruised. I'm like a walking black and blue mark. I mean, really, though, really, I didn't know it was actually possible to have bruises in such areas of the body. Strippers, dude, I tell you, I really respect the cunts now. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm sorry, I normally don't use the C word multiple times per episode, but we're getting into, you know, 2006, 2007, Lindsay. It's it's a word that's going to come up, you know? So, of course, Lindsay's publicist had to respond to this, and she did confirm the email was real, and she said she's been in rehearsals for the film and has been taking classes from Sheila Kelly. Kelly developed the famed S-Factor aerobic striptease workout in pole dancing. Her character is a stripper, and she now realizes that the job isn't easy. We should give these women credit. So I guess they, she was trying to put a positive spin on it, like, you know, wow, uh, look how great it is for Lindsay to email all of her friends and tell them how hard strippers work and how much she respects the cunts. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, Lindsay. So yeah, Lindsay spent the rest of the year celebrating with her little sister because Allie released her first album titled Lohan Holiday. So Lindsay was there to support and then she flew to South Beach for New Year's. I guess that's the thing. I didn't realize how many celebrities go to South Beach for New Year's, but Lindsay would go every year, I guess, during this time. And she hosted a party at Privé Nightclub, which we all do when we're in AA trying to quit drinking. You know, I mean, that is the ideal thing to do is to put yourself in one of the biggest party towns on planet Earth, right in the middle of the hottest club in town where you're paid to party. That is ideal, ideal for members of AA. She was joined by Travis Barker, Fat Joe, Kimberly Stewart, T.I., Kelly Rowland, and my boyfriend, J.C. Chazé. I am so jealous. Uh, I hope she hooked up with him that night. I really do. I mean, it's my girl, Lindsay. So, you know, she's been known to hook up. And by the way, there are so many instances of her saying that she likes to date around and she likes to be with all these different guys. So she doesn't really like to be tied down because she doesn't like cheating. I just love how she was open and honest even back then. Even when she's being called blowhand, she's like, yeah, I like dating around. I like I like hooking up with multiple guys. I like sleeping with one guy when I'm with another guy and whatever. So I hope she hooked up with JC. I really hope so. Was this when he was with Eva Longoria though? Isn't that, isn't that weird? That's one of those couples everybody forgets about. But JC and Eva Longoria were together for like a couple years. Is that not what? Like, that's, I don't know. What did they talk about? I mean, I'm sure they had plenty. Like, it's not like it was an inappropriate relationship, but it's just, I don't know. I, I just want to know, like, what did they talk about? I, I, I don't know. I always go off on these tangents, but I'm just fascinated by random celebrity relationships that everybody forgot about. It was rumored at this club appearance that Lindsay did not allow any bottles of alcohol to be photographed near her. So there's always sponsors at these events so you'll see like a big you know Coors Light display or a big Sky Vodka display and a lot of the time celebrities will pose with them and like they can make extra money if they like pose with a certain bottle of alcohol or something and Lindsay was like no fucking way I am sober I am sober I am sober but events that happened shortly after maybe suggest that she was not actually sober and if she was sober unfortunately she would fall off the wagon very soon after this and again I'm gonna try to handle all of this like I said in the first episode I want this series to be more about her talent and less about all of the drama 
and substance abuse issues and jail time and things like that. So I'm going to try to do this in the most kind, respectful way possible. So again, if you're looking for like me pointing and laughing at her being a mess, I'm just, that's not really going to happen because I respect her and I don't know. I'm just trying to show a little decency. You know what I mean? So tune in next time because we will be getting into, mm, I'm shuddering already just uh, saying the words, 2007. Oh, girl. <laughs> it's it's going to be a lot. It really is. So buckle up and I will see you guys then. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to my Patreon subscribers and I will see you all very soon. Have a great week. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capriya Moon. That's at C-A-P-R-I-A-M-O-O-N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessica cast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessica cast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessica cast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.